I am finishing the series called Dancing with David today. And this sermon is calling, I'm calling rather, Dancing with the Lord. The title, Dancing with David, was really given for the dance of life, meaning the ups and downs of life that we face. And really, David, there may not be a better character in the Bible that personifies um, the human uh, struggle to see the ups and downs, the highs and lows that a, that a human being will go through. David's just a great example for us to look at in life. And we have learned uh, from this uh, man of God in the Bible. Second Samuel 6 tells the story now of him actually dancing, not just the dance of life. And it says this, David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. The ark of God. What is that? Well, that is literally God in a box. Today, he lives in the hearts of everyone who will ask him to come in. And uh, we have the presence of the Lord, his Holy Spirit, living in our lives. In those days, that was not the case. Jesus had not come. And um, therefore, God didn't reside in all the hearts of men, but he resided, literally, his presence was in this box called the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a sign of blessing. It would be among the people in a tent. Wherever they went, this presence of the Lord went with them, and it had been stolen by the enemy. And now, David gets really excited. How excited, you say? When a grown man dances by himself in public, he's pretty excited. And that is what David was doing here. And uh, he's, his joy just overtook him. And some people say, well, enthusiasm uh, for God, that's, 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 you know, people get carried away. But I like what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. He said, nothing great has ever been achieved without enthusiasm. We're going to talk about that today. Let's pray. Father, we invite you to speak into our hearts and lives. Your word holds something that is rich for us. Every time we open it, every time we break bread with you, uh, your Holy Spirit will lead us to who you are, to how you love us, to how to express our love to you. And Lord, we open our hearts today saying, pour into our spirits that we might uh, be blessed and a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Three thoughts today uh, that we can learn, three principles that we can learn about David dancing with the Lord. The first is this, give God praise in and for your life. A lot of you have been through hard things. And if you're not careful, you'll dwell on the bad things that have happened to you. Because it might surprise you, but it's true that bad things happen to everybody. And uh, really, how you navigate and how you do in life uh, it'll have a lot to do with how, your perspective and, and whether you choose to have a positive orientation and keep moving forward or a negative orientation and a woe is me heart. And David was a guy that had all kinds of ups and downs in his life. A lot of hurt and pain, self-inflicted and inflicted by others. But one of the things he did is he would continually get back up and give God praise in the hard times Give God praise every time something good happened. Now something fantastic is happening. He knows what the presence of the Lord means for the people of Israel. And let's pick that story up in verse 14 of 2 Samuel 6. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. It's one thing to dance. It's another thing to do it with all your might. While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. So here he is, it appears that it's a spontaneous expression, that it hadn't been planned. 
that he wasn't, uh, you know, rehearsing uh, for weeks. He just was so excited, he, he just couldn't contain himself. Now, there's much to learn here uh, from this story, uh, but the message really isn't that we should dance in the streets to prove that we're not ashamed of God. And I've heard people use this text for that. But I, just, just a couple thoughts, and they're true, so I, I hope it's not too upsetting to others. But dancing as a form of worship is not in the New Testament. That's not to say it's wrong, but it's not a, it's not a normative expression in the New Testament for worship. But it can be allowed uniquely. And David is in this unique circumstance where joy is just incredible and it hits him. And I, I, I say it's like painting, you know. Painting isn't, isn't spoken of as something in the Bible that we should do, but it's an artistic expression that can glorify the Lord and the art of dancing can too. But, but here, he's just flat out excited and he can't contain himself. And uh, while it's true that some people go to an extreme and they want to be seen and they do things uh, with outward expression uh, that would bring attention to themselves, it's also true that you can go to extreme in your worship where you don't want to show any emotion whatsoever. Well, just because some people go too far doesn't mean that we should shut down that which emotionally is, uh, is good. And people say, well, I don't, I don't like to show emotion very much. Well, you know, let's, let's take a relationship in marriage. If, if you don't show emotion towards your spouse with your expressions of love in some way along the way, it won't go well. Emotional connection is a great part of a relationship in, in a marriage. Now, you can't live on that for sure. But why do people throw it out when it comes to God, this emotional connection that we have with Him and showing emotions? I like what Eugene Peterson said. He said, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves. Spoken well by an intellectual there. We, uh, we are so worried about what others think of us. But now let me give you a little perspective. I just find it interesting. You guys know I like sports. You know that, if you've been around here very much. But it, but it never ceases to amaze me the difference between, and let's talk about the men for a moment, the way the men show emotion when they watch sports and the way they don't want to show emotion when they're worshiping the Lord. Let's talk about um, the ducks for a moment, just, just for a moment. Uh, there's a lot of duck fever going around. They're going to be playing on January 10th in the national championship game, which has never happened for an Oregon team. That's, that's pretty cool. Uh, but there's so, I mean, the same people that would say, you know, it's just a little too much to raise your hands and shout, holy cow. I mean, what kind of person would shout in public? But those same people will go totally wacko at a, at a sports event. Uh, you know, even, even pa- the Ducks are so good this year, even Pastor Roger is rooting for them to win. And I, I said that, I, just a Pac-10 team, you know, I said that in the first service and and uh, people were all over him, the Beaver fans. How many Beaver fans do we have here? Okay, we just want to give you a little acknowledgement as we go through this. But, but Roger said, that was a secret. And I said, not anymore, bro. Uh, so I got him in trouble with all the Beavers fans uh, but, but between services. But the Ducks are so good this year, even the Beavers praise them. And uh, it's just a unique, not really, not really. They don't do that, trust me. I'm, uh, you're scaring me. Don't look at me that way, bro. He's intimidating. He played for the Beavers uh, many, many decades ago. Um, (laughs) And he was an All-American on a team that wasn't very good. How good do you have to be to be an uh, All-American on 
That team was 1-10 in 10 that year. That's a true story. He was an All-American. So I'm trying to make up as I go here. <laughs> but, I, but I mean, how many people are wearing duck apparel right now at this very moment? Lift, lift your hand. All right. There's, there's a, there's, man, you got a classy vest there, bro. I, that, uh, I haven't seen anything that nice. Um, I- anyway, that's all fine, you know, that we, we can enjoy those things and enjoy sports. And by the way, our boys are playing Central Catholic at the Les Schwab Invitational tomorrow Tomorrow night at 5.30, pray for them that they'll give glory to God. They're going to get some exposure, I think. You might see them in the news if things go well. And I think the Lord uses things like this. But what I, what I want you to know is I, I don't like it when we'll give so much praise to men and we're just, we emotionally don't want to have any connection with God. Don't get carried away. Look at what the Bible says. And here's some normative things here. Psalm 95.1. Come let us sing to the Lord. Let us give a joyous shout to the rock of our salvation. Matthew 21, 9, we see it in the New Testament that they shouted to the Lord too. He was in the center of the procession and the crowds all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. Now guys, I want you to try something. I'm not picking on you. I just feel like it's a little easier for women to, to be emotional uh, but, but men shouldn't be exempt from it because you're just missing something in worship that's awesome if you take the emotions out. I, I mean, how can you worship truly and freely without emotion? You, you can't. You have to express yourself, and these are biblical expressions. But guys, I, I want you to try something. Obviously, I can't make you. But sometime when you're driving down the road by yourself and no one's around, I would like for you to just to try a shout unto God if you've never done it before. Nobody will know it's just between you and God. And by the way, that's a great way to have it at times. But just shout out, praise your name, God, you're awesome. Jesus, I love you. And I think you might discover something. Now, I know people can do that to be seen and they can do it for the wrong motives. But when it's truly coming from a heart to express praise, what you find is that God meets you in a unique and special way. That the Holy Spirit actually attends to the praise of God and will come and settle your heart down. I like that song that says, when we lift him up, he lifts us up. And when we praise him, he comes to settle our hearts down because we get an eternal perspective that's not about just what's in front of me. It's about this God of love who's eternal. We get a perspective that he's here to help me today and that he's present everywhere I go. And when you praise him, he'll, he'll meet you. Psalm 134, 2 says, lift your hands in holiness and bless the Lord. And then we see it in the New Testament. So I want men everywhere, 1 Timothy 2, 8, to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from sin and anger and resentment. What was David saying? Because you know what? There's a song. As a matter of fact, it was so impactful to the children of Israel and so inspired of the Lord that it became Psalm 105. Psalm 105, and you'll see in 1 Chronicles 60, 16, 7, the song that David sang when he danced. Now, 16, 7 of 1 Chronicles is the same account that we're reading in 2 Samuel 6. But it adds a little bit more. You look at one and the other and you see more of the story as it happened when you compare the two. And here's the song that when the ark was going along and David was dancing, here's the song that First Chronicles says that he sang. Verse 8 says, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Now he's, he's dancing along, singing this song. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let 
the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. And if you look at Psalm 105, you'll find that's the exact wording in Psalm 105. It was so inspired of God that, that it became part of their hymnal in those days and part of the words that are preserved for us of praise because God loved what he was saying. And there may be some here who say, you know what, I really have no reason to praise. I'm going through a, a very difficult time and it, not only does it not feel good, it doesn't even feel right. Uh, someone sent me a message recently. Uh, it, was, it, was, um, it was difficult for me to watch my daughter go through what she's gone through recently. And I was struggling and it let me know a little bit how you guys feel when you go through things and you're asking God to help but you don't see him in that scenario. All of us face that. And, it, and, and the Lord has met us and God's touching Candace and good things are, are coming but it wasn't this instant healing thing that we had hoped for and prayed for. But someone sent me this message and I really like it. It's by John Towler and he says, the amalgam of trust and gratefulness is the shortest path to God. And <clears throat> here's what I want you to know, that even though you're going through a hard time, it's still best to praise Him. It's always best to trust Him. Because the only other alternative is to move away from Him. And when you turn your back on God and you walk even just a small distance, sometimes you can walk out from under his shadow or his covering. And it's always best to embrace him and to ask him for help. When you're going through hard times, what you can find out, you may not find out <clears throat> even in a short season, it may be a long season, but what you find out is that even though it's difficult, he's gonna show himself to you. That he takes bad things and he can make good out of them. I love this story that Billy Graham tells in his book, Just As I Am. The story goes like this. Years ago, he and his wife Ruth were invited to the Caribbean by one of the wealthiest men in the world to his lavish home for lunch. The man was 75 years old and throughout the entire meal, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he seemed close to tears. And here's what he said. He said, I'm the most miserable man in the world out there is my yacht and I can go anywhere I want to. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything I want to make my life happy. Yet I am as miserable as H-E double toothpicks. I won't say it. They talked to him and prayed with him, trying to point him to Christ. They told him that he alone will give you lasting meaning to life. And then they left the man's house, same island, <clears throat> walked down to the little cottage, that they were staying as his guests. And that afternoon, a local pastor came by to visit them, and he was 75 as well. He was a widower who had spent most of his time these days taking care of his two invalid sisters. That's how he was spending a lot of his time, taking care of his two sick sisters. And he was full of enthusiasm and love for Jesus. And Billy Graham said, not only a love for Jesus, but a love for others that was apparent. And here's what he said to them the same afternoon that they talked to the rich man. Now this man, they hear this message. He says, I don't have $2 to my name. He said it with a smile and then he said, but I'm the happiest man on this island. And Billy Graham asked the question to his wife as the man left, who do you think's the richer man? 
And we look to this world and we look to others and we look to things to meet our needs, but the truth is that the shortest path to God is trust and gratefulness in this life. Trust God, even though it's hard. I think it's great. You may be going through something hard, but trust me, it could be harder. David lost four of his children in his lifetime. Hard, maybe the biggest pain on earth is watching your children go before you if you're a parent. And yet this is a man that when, when life knocked him down, whether it was his sin or another, whether it was just pain that was inevitable that's attached to life, when he was knocked down, he would always get up and keep moving towards God. That is the beauty of David. That is the man with the heart that would follow the Lord. And it's good for us to know that in all of the circumstances of life, we should give God praise. It's good for you and it's good for others who are around you to trust and to praise God. Give him the praise in and for your life. That's one of the things David showed us. He praised him in the good times and he praised him in the hard times. Second thought here that we see from the scriptures about David in this circumstance, don't be ashamed of God. And I'm gonna say Jesus because Jesus is God. We're gonna read some New Testament scriptures that talk about being ashamed of him as well and how it uh, isn't a good deal. 2 Samuel 6, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. Now, you remember Michael? When David killed Goliath, when he was just a teenager, when it all started, Michael was given to him. It was one of the prizes for killing the giant. You get a lot of money and riches. Saul had everybody in the kingdom afraid. Do you remember that story? David came as a young man, said, I'll go out there. Didn't really ask for, I, I get a feeling he'd have gone for no money and without, you know, the prize of the wife. But I guess an interesting thought is he never chose Michael. Michael was given to him. And so here we see that she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. Now, it's one thing to be embarrassed. It's another thing to despise your husband. And uh, I, I hope, uh, ladies, that you uh, act appropriately when your husband embarrasses you in public. Um, and, and it certainly isn't ever appropriate to despise your husband or your wife, for that matter, for these things. She despised him. That's a problem. Now let's pick up the story in verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household. So he's had this incredible day of victory. It's been amazing. The people of Israel understand what's happened. They see the king praise God. And it's all been really, really good. But that's not her perspective. And he comes home to bless his household. And Michael, and I think it's interesting that the Bible says, daughter of Saul. <clears throat> what's interesting is now we see that she has the same spirit of her dad. David wanted to lift up God with his life. Saul wanted to lift up himself and exalt himself. She's got the same spirit. Daughter of Saul came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Now she's mocking. She's not just talking, she's mocking. Disrobing in the sight of slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would do. And David said to Michael, and it had to hurt, right? When people in your, in your house don't believe in you, it hurts. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me. Now he, he discerns her spirit right away. There's a discerning of the spirit in the Bible. He discerns and he knows it's the spirit of Saul that is speaking right now. Self-exaltation. 
And that's what it was about for her. She, she, it was really about her status that she was upset because she, thought she wanted her husband to be more dignified like her daddy was. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate before the Lord. She accused him essentially of exposing himself, uh, dressing inappropriately. And we hear people say, David danced in his underwear, but he really didn't. And when you look at the account again, it's the same account in 1 Chronicles 15, 27. You see that it was something she said he did, but he didn't do. And people tend to do that when they want to prove their point. They'll lie or exaggerate. 1 Chronicles 15, 27 it says this, same account again, of, uh, but, but more information. David was dressed in a robe of fine linen, as were the Levites who carried the ark, the singers, Kenaniah, the song leader, and David was also wearing a priestly tunic. So he did take off his outer garment, which was a royal robe, but he was dressed appropriately even when he took that off. Disrobing means in verse 20 that David laid aside that royal clothing and he was simply wearing, it's spoken of his priestly tunic, but it, but it was a simple tunic that was the type that slaves wore. So it wasn't so much that it was inappropriate in underwear as that she thought it was inappropriate that he looked like just a, a normal person and a slave. She didn't like it. David had a heart to glorify God with his life. Michael had a heart of her ungodly dad, King Saul, to glorify self. She wanted David to be aloof and to appear kingly and exalt himself. And David wanted to be near the people and praising God. That's why God chose him, because he had a heart after God. John the Baptist shows us the right spirit to have when it comes to uh, receiving praise in life. You know, I talked about athletics, but I, I, I love it when I hear an athlete, when people are trying to give them praise you know, those, those athletes that love Jesus, they know where all the talent came from. Just like a singer, just like a, a person with uh, a profound intellect, everybody who loves Jesus, they know, you know where that came from. You, you couldn't put that in yourself. You were wired that way, a creation of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Heavenly Father. And I, I like it when athletes at times, when people give them praise, they'll just turn it back to Jesus Christ in a public setting. And some people think it's inappropriate, but I just think it's cool. What they're saying is, hey, 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 I'm not gonna receive praise from men. I'm gonna give glory to God. They came to John the Baptist in the New Testament and they said, hey, there's this guy, Jesus, and he's preaching over here and people are being drawn to him and he's taking attention away from you. But John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. And here's what he said to those people who were so worried. John 3.30, he said about Jesus, this John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. I think that's the heart that David had when he was dancing before the Lord. He must increase. It doesn't matter what my reputation is. You see, when you have the right heart, it's not your reputation that you're most concerned with, it's his. How do people see Jesus? How can I show them who he is and how he loves? Mark 8, <clears throat> 37 says this, or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Michael was ashamed of David, but David wasn't ashamed. And Jesus said in verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes to his father's glory with the holy angels. Wow. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm gonna be ashamed of you. That's intense, but I'm just telling you, I didn't make it up. I'm just reading the Bible to you. 
It's serious and it's real and it's true. Good things happen when we glorify God with our lives. Now, I want you to know that I've been in um, public settings. I, I'm a bit of a rebel in some ways, and, and so it, it doesn't bother me too much to, to, to be a contrarian. Uh, you know, that, I mean, it's kind of in me a little bit. So, but, but when I'm in a setting, I've, been in, I've, I've spoken at a baccalaureate where, where they didn't want me to speak of Jesus, but I did. And... and um, I, I've been in uh, fundraising situations where uh, people weren't comfortable with me speaking about Jesus, but I did. And I've been in situations with friends and family members where I feel prompted of the Lord to speak, and even though people weren't comfortable, I did. I spoke of Jesus. And I'm just telling you, there are going to be times when the Spirit of God will speak to you to say something that will be uncomfortable. Or when someone confronts you and says something about Jesus, you know when you're confronted and people want to put you down, it's amazing. You know, I believe in speaking in tongues in a prayer language and people in the New Testament call it the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's one of the evidences, I do, of an empowering that comes from the Spirit. But there's something else that people don't consider very much that's just as common when the Holy Spirit is spoken of and it's called boldness. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? Boldness came upon them. Now, today in the church in America, I think we need to be careful. I think we're being Europeanized. And what I mean by that is I've been in North America, in Mexico, where we take a team of 100 kids into, that, in, into the major cities there. We'd do an outreach, and we'd see two or 300 people saved in just a short time. We take the same number of kids to Europe. We went to Spain one year, and we did the same things and reached out and we saw 13 saved in two weeks. They're not open to the gospel because they went to other religions and there's all kinds of pressure and the, 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 the strength and the power of the church has dissipated in Europe. Now I believe it can resurge and the Lord's gonna bring people in and history goes that way. But America could be in for a downturn and I wanna encourage you to know this. I'm, I'm prophesying to you that when you speak of Jesus in public settings, it's gonna get harder and harder. People will hate to hear that name more and more. But if you'll speak with grace and truth, you know, some people speak in the wrong way with an angry spirit. That's not the spirit of Christ, an angry spirit. But when you'll speak with grace, but you're not afraid to speak truth, the power of the Holy Spirit will attend that boldness to change lives. Well, if, if you hear a whispering in your heart to speak of Jesus or to share a scripture, I just want you to know that probably not even your own flesh would do that because it it'll cost you a little bit sometimes. And the devil certainly wouldn't whisper in your ear to say, talk about Jesus in a scripture. So who might that be? Where does that, where's that prompting coming from about the scriptures or the name of Jesus or a testimony? It's coming from the Holy Spirit. Almost assuredly, when that thought comes to your mind, it's the Holy Spirit. And if we'll follow those promptings, even if it costs us a little bit, we'll see good things happen in people's lives. I have a friend named Steve Zimke. True story, and I, I love, love this story. Steve was, was pretty much wild in his youth and had all kinds of trouble. He's from the Northwest, the Seattle area. And um, he'd heard about Jesus and God, but he didn't believe it. And he kind of did his own thing, went his own way. And his life was falling apart after a, a life of wild living. And he's walking down the streets of the city one day 
feeling pain in his heart and emptiness, wondering, is this all there is? And the thought of Jesus Christ and what he'd heard came to his heart. And he wouldn't have called it a prayer, but it was. He spoke to God and said, to Jesus really, and said, Jesus, if it's all true and you're real, and if you really love me, would you show me? And at that very moment, honest to goodness, true story, at that very moment, someone from the sixth or seventh story of an apartment building leaned out the window and said, hey, you! And Steve looked around. He was the only one on the street. And he said, me? Like this? He said, yes, you! And the person said, Jesus loves you! And then they disappeared in the window. And that's at the very moment he said, Jesus, if you're real, would you show me? Now, when I get to heaven, I want to look up the person who leaned out that window and said, hey, tell me how that went. I mean, were they just cooking eggs and bacon at the stove, you know, and thinking, oh, man, I just really feel the urge to yell out to someone on the street, Jesus loves you, you know, and they go out. But it was the very moment of his prayer. Now, I know that that's not normative either, that that's unique. But I'm telling you that the Spirit of God gives promptings to his children to speak of the good news of Jesus Christ and his love. And when we do it, something happens. Steve went on not only to be saved and give his heart to Jesus completely, but he's a pastor who's changed the lives of hundreds of young people who've come to Christ. This is real stuff we're talking about. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. David said, hey, Michael, just so you know, it's not about me, it's about him. That's not the spirit of the world, is it? That's the spirit of God. That's the spirit of Christ. It's not about me, it's about him. It's not about me looking good, it's about him looking good. It's not about what people think of me, it's what they think of him, and I will give him praise with my life. I will not be ashamed. Third thought today. When you do these things, when you give him praise in and for your life, when you're not ashamed of him and you're willing to speak or to stand up for him, you'll find God moving in your life in a wonderful way. He will give you his favor. When there's a righteous life accompanied by an unashamed spirit of grace and truth, God will speak through that kind of person and give them favor and bless their lives. 2 Samuel 6.22, we pick up the story now where he's still talking to Michael. And he said, oh, really? Well, I'll become even more undignified than this. And I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. There's that heart that it's about God, not about me. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And he was. To this day, he's the most revered and loved king ever of Israel. And he's being honored today as this word is being read. And Michael, daughter of Saul, the Bible says, had no children to the day of her death. Now, some people, would, I've heard people say God struck her with barrenness, but that's not what the passage says. And most likely what it was is David rejected her and wouldn't take her to his bed from that time on, and as a result, she didn't have children. That's what most scholars believe, and I think that's probably the, the, the most accurate interpretation of what was happening there. But it was... Uh, uh, for a wife to bear no children was a disgrace in that day, especially if her husband rejected her. Well, remember, he didn't choose her in the first place. And in this, these days, you know, it's different now according to the New Testament direction that God has given us. But in those days, he had many wives and, and she was set aside because her heart wasn't for God and it wasn't for her husband. 
And she wasn't honored, but David would go forward with his life and honor God, and God honored him. And did you know that's the way it works? I know people question this thought at times, but I want to read a scripture to you. God honors those who honor him. He loves everybody, but he honors people. If a woman will honor God, God will honor her. If a man will honor God, God will honor him. 1 Samuel 2.30, here it is. Those who honor me, I will honor. That's God speaking. But those who despise me will be disdained. When David danced before the Lord, his wife despised him and she was really despising his praise and worship of his God. She was disdained and he was honored, as that scripture says. David, because he had this heart for God, enjoyed God's favor and honor on his life. Look at Acts 13, 22. God said, David, son of Jesse, is a man after my own heart, for he will do everything I want him to. Acts 7, 46, 6, speaking of David, David found favor with God. There's that word favor that I used, and you'll find his favor when you honor him with your life. 2 Samuel 7, 16 God's speaking to David, your dynasty and your kingdom will continue for all time before me and your throne will be secure forever. You know that David's lineage is the lineage of Christ. We talked about Christmas. Christ came from the lineage of David. That's how much favor was on his life. Now I wanna bring this series to a conclusion, not just the sermon, but the series with these next thoughts. David had his ups and downs in life, didn't he? We've just been reading about all of that. He served God overall, but sometimes it was one step back, two step forward, right? I mean, I mean, he had struggles. He had people turn against him. You've had people turn against you, haven't you? You have ups and downs in life. He faced mutiny led by his own son. You've had people declare mutiny against you in certain ways, haven't you? Probably all of us have. He had a lot of trouble in his life. He lost several of his children to death. And with all these ups and downs, when he fell down, he would get back up. He got up from the pain caused him by the sin of others. He was knocked down, but he would get up and he would trust God and keep moving. He got up from the self-inflicted pain of his own mistakes and sin. He was down, but when he recognized it, he got up and he moved forward saying, God, I'm gonna trust you. I made a mistake, but I'm not gonna stay down. That's the biggest mistake is to stay down if, if you made a mistake. He got up from the inevitable pain experienced in everyday life. And I, I just think he's a great example for us. Listen, you're gonna get knocked down, but get back up. You might slip back a ways, but keep moving forward. Trust God. Know that his forgiveness is great, that his love is incredible for you, and get back up. And you can still find favor in your life overall, even when you've made mistakes, even when you felt pain, even when others have rejected you. The favor of God can still be on your life if you keep moving forward and trusting him. This may not seem spiritual to you, but I think it illustrates this thought. It's a story of a bee written by Glenn Wasson in his book, Home Forum Reader. Wasson had been clearing brush in the mountains for several hours and he took a lunch break. He sat on a log, bit into a sandwich and the scenery was beautiful. An amazing rushing stream. Woods all around him, a canyon close by, just enjoying nature. 
but the moment was interrupted by a persistent bee that started to torment him, buzzing around his head and threatening him. He waved it off, but it returned. This time, he connected with it, swatted it to the ground, and he stepped on it. But to his amazement, the bee emerged from the sand and launched another attack on him, trying to sting him. This time, Glenn knocked it down, jumped on it with all of his 210 pounds, and then he sat down to resume eating his lunch. But shortly out of the corner of his eye, he noticed the sand near his feet starting to move. The bee was dragging himself back to the land of the living. Now, intrigued, he bent over to watch, and the bee's right wing seemed all right, but the left one was crumpled like a piece of paper. Even so, the bee stretched and tried the damaged wing, moving it slowly up and down. It ran its legs along the length of the wing, trying to straighten it out. At the same time, the bee groomed and doctored itself, trying the best it could to recover from the disaster. Finally, it tried using its wing, but the left one seemed hopelessly crippled. Glenn knelt in the sand and bent over for a closer look. He was a veteran pilot and said that he knew a great deal about wings. He concluded that this bee would never fly again. That bee, however, had other ideas. And it kept working with its wing, furiously trying to press out the crinkled spots, stretch out the torn spot, and it increased the tempo of its fluttering. As Glenn, still on his knees, watched the bee attempted to fly, and it managed an elevation of three inches and crashed back to the earth. Undeterred, it tried again and again. Each effort was a little more successful, though sometimes the bee would fly erratically this way or that. At last, the bee took off, buzzed over the stream, and was gone. As the bee disappeared, Glenn wrote later, I realized that I was still on my knees. And I remained on my knees for some time. Now, that bee didn't help, have help from God. Maybe he did, so this story would be told. I don't know. But you have help from God. Okay, you've been knocked down. You've been crushed, but not destroyed. Get back up again. Let the Spirit of God touch you. Keep moving forward. David was knocked down over and over again, but he never quit. Will you quit? Don't quit. Let the loving Father embrace you. Stretch your hands out to Him. Let Abba Father, Daddy God, take you, hold you, heal you, and keep going. It might be one step backwards, two step backwards, but three steps forwards. And somehow, though he had all these problems, he was honored by God and found his favor. And though we are flawed, though we've made mistakes, though we'll make mistakes, if we keep moving forward, you can find the honor of God. You can find the favor of God. It's not found in money or things. It's not found in what the world terms as successful. It's found in honoring him with your life and seeing his miracles happen all around you and the ones you love and the ones you walk with. God will bless us and use us if we just kid up and keep moving. Psalm 37, three, and I close this series with this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. 
Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. I just want to say that last line again. It's great. Trust him and he will help you.